0: I feel that it's so important for boys and men to be part of the feminist movement and to be allies to women. This isn't a a men-hating club where we sit around and we want to do everything by ourselves.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking, to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. I'm proud to introduce you to my friend, Reagan Salvo. For the past 25 years, she's made her career in high-profile magazines for the last 10 years as executive managing editor of W Magazine, a national fashion and cultural magazine published by Condé Nast. But as you'll quickly learn, her passion is for moving the needle for gender equality, particularly through her work at Girls Leadership, a nonprofit whose New York board she chairs. Girls' leadership is dedicated to giving girls the power to use their voices and close the confidence gap that starts earlier than you might think. To say that Reagan is a woman of strength, passion, and tribe would be an understatement. I also wouldn't be doing her justice if I failed to mention her ability to be vulnerable, open-minded, and kind. During our conversation, we focus mainly on her professional journey as well as her involvement with girls' leadership. She shares with us some moments that she experienced with sexual harassment, the powerful impact her single mother had on her, and advice that both women and men can benefit from when it comes to relationships and equality. This was an enlightening conversation, specifically as it relates to feminism. We talked deeply about what it really means to be feminist how the term is often misunderstood, and how the movement could benefit from some improved branding. Reagan shares some startling statistics regarding girls growing up with social media and the negative impact it has on their self-image and confidence. She also addresses what she calls the impossible vortex that many girls and women feel, even today, that they have to achieve an outdated and absurd standard of being polite, pretty, and perfect. Be ready to get your checkbook out after listening to this conversation because you will feel inspired to contribute to girls' leadership. In the interim, kick back and enjoy my conversation with my friend Reagan Salmo. For those who don't for those who don't know, who are you? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. Okay. And what got you here? Hi, I overview, and then we'll go into... Absolutely.
0: So I'm Regan Salmo. I was raised by a single mother on Long Island. My father passed away very suddenly when I was about six years old. So she was an incredible model of... Sort of being a working mom, doing it all, she raised me to be a very independent and strong person. I am tremendously grateful and indebted to her for teaching me everything that she did. And we can talk a little bit more about what she taught me yeah, and going to define that. that. Both of my parents were in the writing industry in some form. My mother was an editor at Doubleday, um, Doubleday. Garden City, yeah. Long Island. And my father was a freelance writer for Sesame Street So one of my memories with him was when he took me to the set of Sesame Street and I got to meet Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and and Luis, who owned the Fix-It shop. And I brought Luis a toy of mine that was broken. And I asked Luis to fix my toy. And I knew somewhere in my little five-year-old brain that he was just an actor but I still thought, well, maybe he'll fix it anyway. And he was very nice. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, my fix-it shop is full and I can't take any more toys right now. I said, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I always, an awesome memory. It was a wonderful memory. I'm very grateful for that. I don't have many memories of my father. Yeah. Peter Salmo was his name. But that's one of them. Yeah. So because they were both in sort of the language business, I always sort of figured I would go into magazines of some sort. And that is what I did. I was the editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, then went to Amherst College in Massachusetts. And when I got out, I got my very first job at a trade magazine called Successful Meetings. Mm. Sort of interesting for you, maybe, Successful Meetings. (laughs) It's for people who plan meetings and conventions, but the whole idea of making connections and working with people. So I started at this trade magazine that nobody had ever heard of, but I learned the trade of being a magazine editor. I got to write cover stories, I got to edit my own section, and I had an editor in chief there who sort of recognized an ability on my part to sort of get people to do things and sort of get my arms around an entire organization. So she put me on the path of being a managing editor. And I went from successful meetings to bigger and bigger magazines. I went to Civilization, which is the magazine of the Library of Congress, worked there for four years, worked at SPIN, Dearly Departed Rock magazine yeah. and then moved on to a 15 year career in fashion magazines, lucky for five years, and then now ten years at W as executive managing editor.
1: Fantastic. Wow. So you knew you were you knew it in early yes. how do you think that has contributed to your success?
0: Well, I think I'm very lucky in the sense that, well, I I know that you and Chris in in a previous podcast talked about how luck is not (laughs) actually a thing and it's sort of how you set yourself up for success. But I, I do feel lucky in the sense that I grew up, again, in a very literary household and I always knew that I wanted to work with words and ideas and concepts. So because I kind of came out of college and sort of knew what I wanted, I felt very directed in my career. I think the interesting thing is that after 25 years of being in magazines the magazine industry has changed completely under my feet. Its tectonic plates are shifting constantly. <laughs> yeah. And in my role as an overseer of budget and people and strategy, I've had to learn how to move within those changes. And now I'm at a point of thinking, well, what do I want to do next? Mm. Which is sort of an interesting place to be in one's you know, late 40s. Yeah.
1: So you've never been there.
0: I really have never been there. It's it's a little scary.
1: Yeah. So if you don't mind, share because <laughs> there are a lot. There are so many people yes. that are in your shoes that are going through that same mm-hmm. thing in the mm-hmm. world. Like you said, mm-hmm. I think you. Oh, I love the tectonic plates. I to We're going <laughs> to quote that because that's. A, I really think that's an awesome analogy. And a lot of people aren't as prepared for a variety of reasons, whether it is uh, again just not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. confidence of being able to make a change. Mm-hmm. Having contacts to be able to do Mm -hmm. that, that's tough. You know, that's challenging. Do you mind expanding a little bit on that?
0: Sure. I mean, I think that uh, most of my compatriots and peers in the industry have been thinking this for a while, sort of how do we take our skill sets and apply them toward either an evolving publishing industry, which is now becoming much more digital, Mm -hmm. much more video based, and not in a defensive way, but still feeling like great content has to lead whatever the medium is. So in some ways, I think people feel like, well, maybe they need to learn some different skill sets, i.e. how to take content and put it out in a digital way, how to use social media more effectively. But a lot of people still feel like content has to lead First, mm. whatever you're doing, I think a lot of people are also thinking. Well, how do we take our skill sets? How do we take our networks and put them towards something different?
1: Yeah, it so, takes a
0: lot of soul searching, oh, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, what about because now that as you've evolved within your career, I'm assuming you're not into a lot of the minutia of the day to day. That is correct. So, yes, the I presume a lot of your role is meetings, mm-hmm. strategy. So do you stay the same industry? Do you do something completely different?
0: Well, that's still to be determined. That's an unfolding story for my life personally, and I think for a lot of people right now. But yes, I would say that when I started my career, I was much more in the minutiae of managing, where's your copy? Where's this layout? Where's this caption? And then putting all those pieces together. And now I more oversee a staff. I oversee a budget. I work with my editor-in-chief to sort of execute on his mission and sometimes help pivot the mission based on the economic realities of the industry. Wow.
1: And then how did you get to where you were as a woman, and did you find that to be more of a challenge being yeah, a woman? Did such it work a to your question. advantage? Yeah,
0: it's such a good question. And it's definitely sort of goes back to, I think, some of the lessons that my mother taught me about not being afraid to express my opinion, not being afraid to ask for help which I Mm. think is very important. Mm -hmm. And we can certainly talk about feminism and and what that means to me or what that means to you in a little bit. But I, I would say that there have certainly been points over time in my career where I have felt, even as a person of relative success and progress, that my standing as a woman has been, if not challenged, just a little bit shaken. I'll give you an example from my very first job, out of college. So again, went to Amherst College, studied feminist theology. And this was sort of the early 90s. So the height of... Great school, by the way. It's it's wonderful. I'm very, very fortunate to have gone there. Yeah. So early 90s, height of political correctness, right? So I and all of my progressive friends had everything all figured out. Then I get spit (laughs) out into the real world. And this job, which was wonderful, was very much of a male kind of frat house kind of place. And I say that Listen, I met my husband there. There was a lot of drinking after, uh-huh. after work. And so I, I have nothing but love from my first job in many ways. I also met a, a very dear friend there who I'm still very close with. But in any case, so I'm there. I'm 21 years old. I'm walking around. I go into the art department maybe two or three months in to my first job. And an older man who was probably 28 slaps my ass as I walk by. And this was in front of a room full of people. In the office. In the office. In the middle of the day. And I turned around and I gave him hell. I said, you don't get to touch me, don't you dare do that again, how dare you, this is an office, what are you doing, blah, 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 blah. blah.
1: Was this your first experience with something like this? Or this is your first experience Um, in corporate? I would
0: say it was one of my first experiences, period. Wow,
1: and it was your initial reaction? Initial
0: reaction, Um, so I thought that was that. And then the next day I got called into my female boss's office And she told me that I had embarrassed him in front of his colleagues and that I should not have done that and that I needed to apologize. And at that moment, it was sort of a crushing realization of, oh, uh, sisterhood is not global. We're not all in it together. And it was a very shaking moment.
1: How did that feel?
0: Horrible, absolutely horrible. It shook my entire worldview, I have to say. And I did not apologize. And I stayed there and I ended up managing him, and that was that. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't right, look you can't back. just let that go. How did that, <laughs> how did you go from having to potentially apologize to then managing? And then, how was I that think, relationship afterwards? Did he respect you? Did he hold no the good? You don't care. I have no you know, idea. Yeah. I, I
0: have to say, I don't really care. Yeah. Because we can get into whether or not that was the right or wrong response on my part. I'm sure that there are some people who would have said well there's a more gentle way to respond in that moment but personally I I don't know if I could have responded any differently and I don't feel bad for having responded the way I did how because did the other, I didn't do anything wrong. How did
1: the other <laughs> how did the other people respond to that? And that I mean I can't even imagine You know
0: it's I don't really remember yeah. there must have been some office chatter about it but I just kind of Kept going. What is your
1: husband? So you met your husband at the time. That's (laughs) got to be, that has to be something that, like, what was his take? At that point, was he like, wow, that's going to be my girl?
0: Well, I remember him telling me, uh, we we were at an office party later on and I remember him trying to sort of burnish his own feminist cred by telling me that he had studied feminism in college. And so I was like, okay, well, I see you're trying to get some points
1: there. Uh Uh,
0: (laughs) I don't, you know, he was raised by a very, my husband, Jeff was, was raised by a very strong mother as well. Not a single mother, but a very strong mother. So I don't think he had a problem with it at all. But yeah. I, I'm sure it set the tone for what my persona was going to be. And to be quite honest, my persona has not really changed much since then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't see that. Right. You've got to be familiar with Barbara Corcoran. Of course. Yeah. She's, what are she's amazing. Yeah. 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 Have you read yeah. any of her books? I have or, not. Oh, you're kidding no, So, not, yeah. So remind me, I'm going to give you, there's a great, uh, my favorite book from hers is, oh my God, if you don't have big breasts, I forgot the name of it, but I'm gonna give it to you. I really want to know what and, the end of that
0: sentence and is. And you're
1: going to yeah, it's something I'll pick out. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give you I'll get we can pause and I can go get it, but it's a really good book. She's fantastic, her mm-hmm. story is great, mm-hmm. and she's got that Hutzpah. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, her is mm-hmm. awesome. And yeah. and as as you're talking, I'm like feeling okay. a barber corporate okay. vibe. All right.
0: Well, I'm very flattered to be in the yeah. same category as her, but yeah. I, I think that ultimately what are we talking about here when we say chutzpah? We mean standing up for yourself in a moment where a man can feel confident and comfortable crossing a line, and how do we as women respond? And Mm -hmm. obviously, Me Too has brought that into the fore lately, and I would never equate my experience with some of the horrible, truly horrible experiences that some women who bravely came forward experienced, but I do think that it's sort of a continuum of just understanding how men have felt very comfortable, even in workplaces, to just cross the line and how do we as women respond?
1: Mm. So why don't maybe now would be a good time to transition into your the, okay. the charity that you're involved
0: okay, in. Okay, fabulous. So I am the New York board chair of a nonprofit called Girls Leadership. Which is girls' leadership? There it is. All kinds of
1: powerful. We're dawning for those (laughs) who are listening and not watching. (laughs) Such an ally. We love having them as allies. It's wonderful. Thank you. Two daughters. Uh,
0: There you go. So, Girls' Leadership is a national nonprofit based in Oakland, California. It was started about ten years ago by the visionary founders Simone Moran and Rachel Simmons. You may know Rachel Simmons' work from. The New York Times bestseller list. She's written The Curse of the Good Girl and Odd Girl Out, and she has a relatively new book out now called Enough As She Is, which is about the idea of becoming comfortable with failure. So Simona and Rachel started Girls Leadership really to address social emotional learning in girls. How are girls socialized to Experience conflict. How are girls socialized to see themselves as leaders or as not? They start with workshops, starting with girls as young as age five. And the idea is to really train girls to, or give girls the skills to exercise the power of their voice. That's the tagline for girls' leadership. So the idea is. If a girl is five, we teach her something like understanding how to look somebody in the eye when you're having a conversation, Mm. understanding how to say, I am not comfortable with what you just said, or I disagree with what you just said, or I don't like the way you're acting toward me right now. Just really basic things about how to relate to other people in the inevitable conflicts that we know come up on the playground, in the classroom, in personal life, eventually in professional life or in relationships with significant others. What we see in some of our research at Girls Leadership is that girls tend to lose 30% of their confidence by age 11.
1: Mm. What do they attribute that to?
0: Well, we see that between 30 and 50% of girls do not want to be seen as bossy. They don't want to take on what they consider leadership positions because they don't want to be seen as shrill or difficult.
1: And and this is at age 11. This
0: is at age 11. And just to follow that thread, most girls don't regain full levels of confidence until their 40s. So think about the lost decades, literally yeah. three decades that are lost. And, and what's
1: happening during that time? And what do you right. attribute that to? I'm sorry to keep cutting you uh, off. No, no but... worries.
0: What's happening at that? You mean, why do they finally get it yeah, back? Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's going on mm-hmm. during that time mm-hmm. that they've, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a lost identity, yeah. a lost confidence, yeah. whatever that might yeah. be. Mm-hmm. And then again. Then what brings it back? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happened?
0: Probably life experience. But I don't think that girls' leadership specifically has studied what brings it gotcha. back. Okay. I would imagine that it has something to do with life experience, finally becoming comfortable with yourself, maybe navigating the 3,000 images of femininity that girls are bombarded with a day.
1: Expand on that.
0: Social media, advertising, mm-hmm. just images on bus kiosks taxis any media image that you see is probably some rather contrived image of femininity whether it's sort of a hypersexualized kind of look or just the way girls are sort of socialized to see themselves in the world so i would imagine that by the age of 40 after a sort of pretty steady diet of media consumption a lot of women start to figure out who they are for themselves but Think of all that lost time and all of those potentially lost opportunities in that time.
1: So is it worse now because of social media?
0: I have an 11-year-old son who does not have a phone. Sorry, Henry. So I don't know personally how girls are dealing with social media. You probably know better than I do. They're bombarded with it. They're you know, bombarded we've got with
1: it. Phone time, it's called, so they're capped uh-huh. out in an hour but okay. of that hour. They're soaking okay. up whatever they uh-huh. can. okay. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Instagram or Pinterest or um, I'm not a social media guy, so I don't know all the (laughs) the other channels. But anyways, uh, yeah.
0: But what do we see on Instagram, for example? What do we as adults see on Instagram, right? We see highly curated lives. We don't see reality. We see the way people want to present themselves to the world, which in some ways can be great and beautiful to look at and in some ways cannot present a full picture of what it is like to be... A person in the world. Forget gender for a second. So, how are girls and boys learning how to navigate those images that they see? How do they know to understand that the image of that we might see of a girl on Instagram might not necessarily reflect her full person? Mm. I was just listening. We were talking before about Howard Stern on Terry Gross, and I was just listening to him the other day, and he said that when he was maybe thirteen, his mother bought him a copy of Playboy. Yeah. And have you heard the story?
1: It's going back years. I <laughs> okay. did hear the story. I'm oh, sorry. I did hear the story, but we're refreshed because okay. I, I do okay. other people that don't. It's very a great story. This is a yeah. great
0: story. I'm assuming we're talking about the same yeah, story. Yeah, no, 100 Howard Stern yeah. said that his mother bought him a copy of Playboy when he was 13 and she opened it up and she said, these are not real women. Real women look like me or look like your mother or they look like your sister. These are idealized versions of women. And you have to understand that as you are becoming a man, becoming sort of a person with a sexual life who interacts with other women. You have to understand the difference between idealized media versions of women and actual real women and what their thoughts and their feelings are and certainly what their bodies look like in real life.
1: So what are your thoughts then on like a Howard I know there's, Howard's gone through some evolutionary phases because <laughs> it's interesting that his mother, and he yeah. brought his I remember listening years ago and he brought his mom on to the show one time to talk about that. And mm-hmm, anyways, yeah. and then what do you think? Is then what he went on to do and to become? Because he who he it's is true. personally is very different. It's than true. his. You uh, know, I
0: was never a Howard Stern listener, although I do have some very close female friends who love him. So I certainly come into an understanding that he's a very smart and thoughtful person. Yeah. But I also mm-hmm. understand that he has certainly objectified women yeah over his life but he yeah. seems to be okay with and it. And meanwhile, he's
1: got daughters. Meanwhile,
0: well, he has daughters. Yeah, that's right. And he, like I said, there's like that's different right.
1: personalities to him. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Very
0: complicated person. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah,
1: to say the least. A very good friend of mine actually worked for him for 11 oh, years. Oh, okay. So, and, and male every, or female? Male. Okay. Yeah, and uh, but uh, you know <laughs> what? And I have uh, another gentleman that I used to work with. That used to be his like maintenance or pool or caretaker. But everyone that I've ever talked to that has ever interacted with him. Loves the man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. loves him. Yeah. Even women that yeah. have had these, yeah. like, so yeah. it, it, again, yeah. I think you said yeah. it best by being complicated. Yeah. Yeah. But I stole your thunder. You were talking about Howard and the women, Mm -hmm. the way they're portrayed. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. does that, why do you think that is, Mm -hmm. and what do you think it should be?
0: Right, well, I'll give you another example from Girls Leadership, if I may, and this is something that we often talk about. We at Girls Leadership asked a group of, I wanna say eight to 12 year old girls, just last year, so 2018. We asked them, give us the three top adjectives for how you feel you need to act as a girl in the world. And these girls' top three answers were polite, pretty, and perfect. So this is 2018 girls today saying they need to be polite, pretty, and perfect. Now, where do they get those ideas from? Well, we look at the 3,000 images of femininity a day. We look at the way women in leadership positions now are often described through the lens of likability. We look at how women's voices can be described as either shrill or difficult. We look at my example from my first year on the job and how I was chastised and reprimanded for speaking up for myself. Those are all great reasons to want to stay polite, pretty, and perfect because you don't want to rock the boat as a woman. You know, I have a quote here from a story that I was just reading in BuzzFeed. It was a review by Anne Helen Peterson, a review of the Charlize Theron Seth Rogen movie, Mm Long Shot. And this is a quote from Ann Helen Peterson. She says, To try and successfully navigate American society as a woman, let alone a woman of color or a queer or gender nonconforming person, is to tirelessly pull the world around you and adjust yourself accordingly. So I'm not trying to freak you out about your own daughters, but I do feel that there are these countless moments in girls' and women's lives where they're sort of looking at their own behavior, adjusting for the outside perception or even for their own self-perception. Am I being polite enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I perfect enough? And how do those three things, I call them the impossible vortex of polite, pretty, and perfect. (laughs) How do those three adjectives sort of weigh down on girls and women in terms of realizing their own ambitions? And what does that mean for women in the C-suite? What does that mean for CEOs of Fortune 500 companies? What does it mean for women who are seeking high political office? It means they have even more things to be thinking about and considering as they move through the world, which mm-hmm. just quite frankly, men, for the most part, don't have to think about.
1: So let me ask you this. I'm going to play devil's advocate for you. Absolutely. Do you know, what did they say for boys how did boys, mm. how do they describe themselves? That's
0: such a good question, and I don't know the answer yeah. because girls' leadership focuses on girls. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that there is a, a boys' organization out there that has found some interesting and problematic adjectives that boys describe themselves in terms of needing to be tough or yeah. whatever the sort of standard um, gender identifiers
1: are for boys. And then how much of it is a confidence, like a self-confidence thing mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. a boy, a mm-hmm. gender, a gender mm-hmm. thing? Meaning, well, because some people, and also comfort? like in like leadership, like not everybody's a leader.
0: That is true. You know, but how are we defining leadership? I think is the question. Um, right. I
1: guess. God, we'll see. I would define a leader as. I guess you could be bad or good, and leaders have defining qualities that exude a certain level of confidence where other people see you as a north star, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. how. I, mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of what how I think about leadership. Right.
0: Right. Okay. How but do you, that how could play you, out in any form of life though. That correct. doesn't necessarily have to be in a corporate setting correct. or in a political setting. Yeah. So I, I'm agreeing with you.
1: Okay. Got gotcha. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right. I don't pass many tests, but uh, there we go. Yeah. So, um, but look
0: at you, you're a leader and you agreed to wear a girl's leadership. T-shirt on camera, Adam. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. Well, it's a, I think that's it's a, a com- form of leadership and al- being an ally, right there.
1: Yeah. Well, I, w- I would go back to a, it's a, from a confidence thing. So I don't know. Right. You know, were you mm-hmm. always self-confident? No. You were not.
0: No, I was Really?
1: Not. Okay. No. I'm surprised to, to... How did you do that? Because I think that's where a lot of people could learn. Sure. And not just well, women, men. Sure, could learn.
0: absolutely. Well, again... And what my, brought you to the
1: confidence? Again,
0: some of it is fake it till you make it, right? Some mm-hmm. of it is how do you present on the outside versus what you're feeling on the inside. My mother tells a story that when she dropped me off at nursery school, or which, I, which I guess is pre-K, uh-huh. she said to the teacher, I just want to tell you Reagan's very shy. And so dropped me off and then came to pick me up a couple of hours later. And the teacher said, she's not shy. <laughs> but I still feel shy. Yeah. I still feel shy inside. So some of it is a little bit fake it till you make it. But I think some of it is, again, sort of the muscle memory that my mother taught me so long ago of just speak your mind And don't worry about the consequences. You can't. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments of isolation, moments of vulnerability, moments of feeling, oh, not in the case of the guy in the art department and slapping me, but there are always moments of questioning whether or not I've gone too far, Mm -hmm. if if speaking my mind is not necessarily the right thing. But I think for anybody, having the confidence to use one's voice is, is one of the key elements of feeling
1: successful. So where did you become empowered? Where'd that come from?
0: That's such a good question. I think I just have to give it up to my mother for giving that example of complete self-actualization, if you will. And again, this is a woman who was widowed very suddenly and sort of just had to jump in with both feet and do what needed to be done. And I think that she instilled in me a great sense of responsibility. I like to say I'm a very highly developed superego. I'm like Mm -hmm. an overworked calf muscle, you know, just all Uh superego, right? That sense of responsibility. And I think that that just came from her. And some of it is just you have to keep your head down and just get your work done. And just get it done. And just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. But that was born of necessity in some way. Gotcha.
1: What about, so with the girl's leadership, back to them, I love the idea of starting it at at such an Mm -hmm. early age. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other principles that they're embedding Sure.
0: So one of the things I wanted to tell you about girls' leadership is we can sort of pinpoint the moment in a girl's life where she starts to be shaky in her confidence. You know, you probably know this from having daughters. Five-year-old girls, they're the first ones to raise their hand, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Oh, oh, I know the answer. I know the answer. But as they get to adolescence, uh, they're not entirely certain whether or not they want to raise their hand. We know that girls as young as the age of six start to identify their male peers as being smarter than them. So then we get back to the polite, pretty, and perfect thing. We see that girls don't necessarily want to raise their hand unless they're 100% sure of the answer. Whereas I don't think we necessarily see that in boys or men. What are the hallmarks of leadership? Risk-taking. How can you take a risk if you are only going to raise your hand if you are 100% sure of the answer? How are we self-selecting ourselves out of seeing ourselves as risk-takers? What happens to confidence levels after age 11? We see that in adolescence, of course, girls start to be even more influenced by social media. And as a result, their confidence levels start to drop even more as they start comparing themselves to other people. What does that mean in terms of seeing themselves as leaders Mm -hmm. and risk takers?
1: Does that help? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you embed this at an early age. Mm -hmm, Does mm -hmm. the program stay with these kids? So
0: girls leadership runs workshops, what we call girl grown up workshops, Mm -hmm. meaning it doesn't necessarily have to be mother daughter. It doesn't have to be father daughter. It can be whoever the sort of main influencer slash caretaker is in a girl's life. We start the workshops as young as age five. Anybody can take them. Um, we can run them at schools or at community based organizations or in church, synagogue, basements, wherever, wherever 15 pairs of girls and their grown ups want to convene with a girls leadership educator. And most of the, Content of the workshop is role playing. So it's a lot of theater based games. We idea. try to make it fun for the girls. Mm-hmm. Of course, by the time they get to age 11, they don't necessarily want to be there. They don't want to be
1: there with their <laughs> yeah.
0: caregiver. They think it's all too cool, uh, yeah. or, they're, or they think that they're too cool for it. But we try to make it fun and interesting enough that the girls will continue to come back. We also run parenting workshops called Raising Resilient Girls, where we talk about the 3,000 images a day. We try to make sure that parents, mothers and fathers, in many cases, really understand the polite, pretty, and perfect matrix that I was talking about, and just sort of trying to understand how to help girls navigate that very inevitable loss of confidence.
1: What's the biggest obstacle that you're running up against?
0: In terms of girls' leadership or in terms of society?
1: Let's... (laughs) Dark. <laughs> you know what? I'll let you answer that. Which, uh, yeah. Well,
0: it's my job as chair of the New York Board of Girls Leadership to make sure that, that the brand has an awareness in New York. And of course, one of the things we need to do that is, is by raising funds. Mm -hmm. So we just had our annual power of voice benefit at the time center in New York, which was beautiful, wonderful. Yes. A good friend of mine is the manager of the time center. So she did me an enormous favor by giving us the space. Mary loves at the time center. (laughs) You're the best. Talk about leveraging your networks, right? So we brought almost 400 people to the Time Center. We honored three tremendous women, Tiffany Dufu, Rachel Cargill, oh. and Alicia Menendez. Do you mm-hmm. know them? You I know of Tiffany. Tiffany? I do yeah. I've do not heard
1: the names of the other people, okay. but I don't know much okay. about them. Do so you wanna, those are yeah. three
0: wonderful women in different walks of life who really exemplify to us. Yeah. The power of voice, yes. And diversity, equity, and inclusion is very important at Girls Leadership. We started the benefit with this incredible all-female drum corps called Fogo Azul. And they started the evening off with just an amazing
1: drum performance. Tell me about the vibe of that night.
0: The vibe of the night was happy, joyous, women acknowledging the women in their lives who had given them the power of their voice. We gave every woman who we honored a golden megaphone to sort of (laughs) um, represent... The power of voice and, and what you can do with your voice when it's unlocked, and why we want to help girls unlock it. Uh-huh. And then I wrapped up the evening by uh, raising some money, and we raised uh, fifty thousand dollars in four minutes. And the entire evening raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars. i so fantastic! I'm thrilled and delighted that it came out, came out. And, so and is this, well. Is
1: this a yearly gala? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Are there other yes. events that you have during the course of the year? That raise money. We
0: have community building events yeah. during the year. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one event that I love. This was my brainchild called the Bold Book Swap, mm-hmm. built from a love of reading and a love of female characters. I had a long-standing love for Pippi Longstocking. Mm-hmm. Did your daughters read Pippi?
1: I don't know. <gasps> okay. I'm sure they have. I don't know if it's too late to for Terrible father I am for not <laughs> knowing. No, <laughs> oh, why would it be too late? No. Well, they're, they're, they're yeah. children's books. Yeah, yeah but you'd, you'd be surprised at what research, you know. True, what, what, true. So. Okay, well, I'll
0: have to get them some okay. copies then. Right. Uh, it- because Pippi is a longstanding heroine of mine. But uh, in any case, the bold book swap, my idea was, let's get a group of kids together, boys and girls, and let's celebrate strong female characters in children's literature. You know, you hear a lot about Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, and there's so many wonderful boys in literature And there are wonderful girls in literature too, too, who are strong and who are confident. So let's take an afternoon at a bookstore to just celebrate all those girls. So the price of admission was you had to bring a book featuring a strong female character. And then we had a relationship with Read Alliance, which is a literacy uh, nonprofit based in the Bronx. So everybody had to bring at least one book. The idea was to gather as many books as possible, fill up the room with children's books featuring strong female characters. And then we gave... About 400 books to read Alliance at the end That's of great. the day. Yeah. So that was a wonderful just community and brand building event for girls' leadership that we do every year. So
1: girls' leadership is clearly expanding.
0: We are expanding. So you've got yes. East Coast, yep. your
1: East Coast and yep. you've got West Coast. Are you? Yep. What, what, so people that are listening, who would you want to hear from? Who are the well, kinds of people that we, you want to hear from and how can they make a contribution absolutely, thank besides... You the monetary contribution well, which monetary, is never gonna, monetary monetary uh,
0: contribution of course very important yeah. we work with corporate partners such as amex and morgan stanley and google Mm-hmm. We have a long-standing relationship with Cheryl Sandberg as well. Personally, oh, yeah. she's taken many of our workshops. And what we like to do is bring our workshops into corporate settings, so that parents who work at these corporations can take some of our content and bring it back home. So that's something that we've been doing for many years with some corporate partners. So in are you using
1: the corporate as a conduit to yes. get to? That's the idea. Okay, yes. Gotcha, yes. Gotcha. So that's just. A but report. it's also an
0: added value for employees, sure. right? Yeah. So it's something that corporate HR departments and diversity-related departments love to sort of have that added value for their employees because it's really something different. We really like to think that we, as a girl-serving organization, are addressing a social-emotional need that nobody else is really doing. How long has the organization been around for? About 10 years.
1: It is. Okay, so you guys have made some pretty big strides in a short period of time. Yeah. And how many people are involved?
0: I would say the staff in California is probably 15 to 20 people. Yeah, okay. We have one to two people on staff in New York. We do not have an office right now, so we're certainly looking for an angel to help us get some office space.
1: Okay, that's another community that, that <laughs> listens to this. Okay, good. And what are some of the goals? What are some of the future goals? Is it an education is it? Are, are there? I
0: would say the goal right now is to scale the model okay. because right now this is we're talking very direct service in terms of 15 people at a time or 15 pairs of caregivers and daughters at a time taking a workshop, so you can have a very deep and meaningful impact mm-hmm. on a girl's life. But it's not exactly getting at the 25 million girls in yeah. America. So what we're working on right now is a curriculum development incubator. We're working with the Young Women's Leadership School Network which is five girls-only schools in the boroughs of New York City. And we're looking to develop that curriculum with them and their teachers over time so that we can scale the model out and eventually have more digital offerings as well.
1: That's a good idea. What about, do you guys do anything from a mentorship standpoint
0: At the moment, we do not. There as are other organizations that do mentorship really well, such as Girls Inc., but for us, we're not dealing with that. We're, okay. we're trying to be very focused on sort of what we do well.
1: Now, talk to me about how you connect with the people that you are looking mm-hmm. to build relationships mm-hmm. with. In terms of... You know, for the girls' leadership, mm-hmm. just in general. Mm-hmm. What are you looking to do? I think it's important for people, and this also dovetails back to making a change in your life like how do you how do you make these connections how do you foster these relationships Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. what you're doing it's new you guys are pioneers Mm -hmm. that's right so you need Mm -hmm. to establish a certain level of trust you know Mm -hmm. first you got to meet these people then Mm -hmm. you need to be able to establish some Mm -hmm. kind of trust Mm -hmm. so they can believe in what you're doing so that you can then have the influence Mm -hmm. that we talked about Mm -hmm. so how are you getting introduced to some Mm -hmm. of these people what are you doing to build that trust how are you getting them behind mm-hmm. you?
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. So my job as New York board chair is to constantly be looking for new board members. We have 15 people on the board right now. And I'm always looking for more men and women. We have three men on the board right now. I'm always looking for more. Looking I have a really for, good
1: contact for you. Great. Yeah, i
0: My feeling right now is to cast the net as wide as possible. That's one of the reasons why I'm here today. Mm -hmm. I feel like the more seeds you plant and the more conversations I have about girls' leadership and about why I believe so strongly in the mission is our best shot right now of getting as many people involved as
1: possible. Tell me about the people when you're having a conversation with Mm -hmm. someone, Mm -hmm. what is it that you are looking for in an experience, in a conversation? Walk me through your thought process.
0: For just, just in any... general,
1: and I'll mm-hmm. I'll expand on that as, okay. as we go. So you meet somebody, mm-hmm. walk me through mm-hmm. your your mindset of that interaction.
0: That's such a good question. I don't know if I've ever thought about my mindset before in a conversation. Oh, really? All right. Wow. Okay. This, this is getting deep. Um, <laughs> I think that for me, making a meaningful connection is extremely important. And sometimes that means peeling a couple of layers of the onion away, Mm. trying to show a little bit of vulnerability in order to really truly connect with somebody on a human and personal level. That to me is the most important in any conversation or in any relationship, whether it's business or
1: nonprofit or personal. Have you always had... So for those who don't know, when I first met you, you just had this good way about you. There was a confidence, shoulders back, handshake, eye contact. Uh There was like... No, I'm serious, but these are... That first impression. So there's, you have gut instinct is, Mm -hmm. it's real. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you read Malcolm Gladwell, Mm -hmm. but you know, know, that's comprised of years Mm of people make these. So you're Mm -hmm. coming off and you're having a really good impression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the vibe that you're putting off. How important is that to you on what you're getting from somebody when you're first meeting them?
0: I think it's important, but I don't think it necessarily has to be the most important Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, listen, you said some very nice things and I'm so appreciative. I don't feel that at all. I still feel like that potentially shy kid in pre-K. So some of it is a little bit of a disconnect between how you feel and how you're presenting. So I think when I'm meeting somebody else and having a conversation with them, I don't necessarily want to judge them on how they're presenting, but try to get at who they are Mm -hmm. a little bit more.
1: And how do you do that? Is it the well, questions that you're asking? Is it. I
0: think some of it is sort of being open and vulnerable about my own experience. Mm-hmm. I don't mind talking about the guy in my first year at, at my job and sort of how awful I felt when my boss talked to me because I think that's a real moment of vulnerability and of pain. And I will share that anecdote, especially in my role as a manager today, because I want the people who report to me to know that I understand what it's like to be sort of at the bottom of the totem pole and Mm. to feel either abandoned or vulnerable in some way. So Mm. I think it's important, no matter where you are in life, to never sort of forget how you really feel on the inside and to bring that to any conversation that you're having. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So have you had, that was your first experience. I had to assume that that was not your last experience in terms of of just dealing with any type of sexual harassment or uh, some level of being uncomfortable because of your gender.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, these moments come up either in truly horrible ways or just in more sort of microaggression kinds of ways, if we want to use that word. I'll give you an example that just happened last summer. So this is Me, I'm in my late 40s. I'm Madam Girl's leadership. I talk about my feminism all the time. I talk about using our voice. And here's an example where I completely could not use my voice. My husband and my then 10-year-old son and I were at a deli on the Jersey Shore. And this is sort of like an Italian deli. I guess it's kind of a male-oriented place. But uh, people go in and they get sandwiches. It's a great place. Public place. Public place. All right. Uh, It's not like The Sopranos. I mean, it's just a normal, lovely deli. And my son loves going there because he loves sitting with the guys and reading the sports page. So I went with my husband and my son, and we sat down with one of the regulars, who is there all the time, and who may or may not be, all there. So we were all sitting together, and we—I was reading the post. We were all just, you know, having our sandwiches, and this guy who was probably in his thirties started to tell a joke. And he- The guy um, that you were with or guy, someone that was in the- The guy that one of the regulars sitting at the- okay. We were all sitting at a table together. Just, <clears throat> there's not that many tables. So gotcha. you sit with whoever's there. But my husband and my son already knew this guy. And this was my first time meeting him. So maybe he didn't like having a girl in the club. I don't know. But he, in any case, he started to tell a joke. The punchline of which had something to do with uh, vaginas smelling like
1: fish. And
0: he looked directly at me when he delivered the punchline.
1: So he was looking to get a reaction from you
0: yes it was extremely hostile and off-putting and i was so shocked that i was speechless and i just got up and i left the deli and i just went out into the parking lot and just shook with rage and cried and didn't know what to do and felt so ashamed of myself for not speaking up at that moment
1: well what would you having been prepared for that situation (laughs) or You know, do you stand up again like you did when you were 21 or what would have been, what is the proper reaction to that? And I'll tell you. It's such a
0: good question. I'd love to hear your answer. But the second part of that story is that, of course, first of all, my poor son had no idea of what the point of the joke was, which was good. My husband came out. It turned out that every other man in the deli jumped down this guy's throat, including the owner. The owner of the deli came over and said, you can't say that. If you ever do anything like that again, you're out which was a wonderful moment of chivalry, but I wished I had done it myself. But everybody who I told the story to later told me, you know what, you wouldn't, even if you had stood up to him, it would have backfired and it would have made it worse. And it would have made that guy think, that's exactly why, you know, I hate women or whatever his feelings. are You know, I, I actually
1: think that played out yeah. better than you could you if so? it had you a hundred percent because yeah. every, it's good that people recognize that. Yeah. And that that's a worse feeling for him because true. he had, by his peers true. or by his the audience <laughs> that he was looking to impress.
0: Yes, that's true. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if I can 100% relate because i have not a woman that's been told that. But what's really interesting, so my wife, as you know, is a black woman. Mm-hmm. So I always find it really interesting. A lot of people don't, even in this day and age, I hear people and they talk and they, they say racist mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I sit back and half of me wants to, you know, I just let them go. Like mm. I really, I get a kick out of it for a while. The first thing I'm like, I get a kick out of it. Then it depends on how far they go. You mean in
0: front of her? Or, no, or just no, in front God, of no. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's like, injured, in you know, people are around, they don't you. know. Yes. So right.
1: a lot of times I feel bad for them. Because it's ignorance. It shows their ignorance. It's just ignorant. I don't think there are very few people. Some people have a really bad way to them. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, it's just ignorance. They're Mm -hmm. so, you know, I feel bad. Hopefully that guy doesn't have a daughter, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or hopefully. Mm -hmm. Who knows what the relationship is with his mother. That's it. I mean, you you shouldn't be doing that. But a lot of times I'll just either keep letting him go. And then maybe Uh. at the end, I'll somehow show a picture (laughs) or like I'll subtly or whatever. But I don't know what you can do. It's a tough right. Right. That's a tough one.
0: It's a tough one. And I I think that the one sort of saving grace for me in that moment was being able to say to my son, we talk about misogyny. That's misogyny in action. We talk about feminism at home. Misogyny means hatred of women. This isn't a theoretical thing. This is something that you just witnessed directed at your own mother. And this is why I feel that it's so important for boys and men to be part of the feminist movement and to be allies. To women. This isn't a a men hating club where we sit around and we want to do everything by ourselves. It is very important for boys and men to know when it's important to speak up Mm -hmm. or to let the people just go until their ignorance is. Is revealed.
1: Yeah. So yeah, clearly. The one, you know, and, and they're
0: abandoned yeah. by their own ignorance. Yeah, because that's what, yeah, because right. people
1: don't want to surround with other people right. like that, especially in this day and age, right. to some degree, depending right. on where you are. Right. But that's a right. whole other conversation. Absolutely. So, so what about yes. now? So, the girls' leadership that got the youth, and then they, I'm sure there's a tough time, you got adolescents, mm-hmm. and that's a tough time that mm-hmm. they don't want to be involved in this. Right. But now, are you doing anything with the more executives mm-hmm. or, or the women that are entering the workforce? In the At beginning? the
0: moment, no, because we're real, girls' leadership is really focused on girls from ages 5 to 12. There are other amazing girl and young women facing organizations that do deal with young women getting into the workforce. There's Girls Inc., which is a tremendous mentoring program. Girls Who Code is very focused. That's
1: blowing up. It
0: is incredible. They are such powerhouses. But at Girls Leadership, we, and this means no disrespect to Girls Who Code, but we like to say confidence before coding because if a girl does not have the basic foundation of self-confidence, no matter what skills you put on top of it, you're still going to have sort of a shaky foundation.
1: Yeah. Do you keep relationships with all the other board members and other people? Some of these other, I guess, these other organizations. Yes,
0: absolutely. We certainly okay. try to. And, and what do you do? It's How a do big you pie, help? Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Correct. So what do you do? Do you guys do quarterly conversations? Mm -hmm. Do you just keep Mm -hmm. in touch? How do you refer people?
0: Right now, this is me and the rest of the New York board just trying to keep in touch and trying to build alliances. Obviously, everybody's fighting for the same fundraising dollars, and and Girls Who Code is really, really good at fundraising. They are the powerhouses, They do hackathons and stuff. They They do. do, Yes, they have incredible relationships with corporate funders in particular. But Girls Leadership right now is in sort of capacity-building mode, so our goal is to meet as many people as possible and develop as many alliances as possible with other girl-facing organizations, because we're all in the same business. We want to lift up girls. We want to empower girls to go into the workforce or into life as confident as possible. And we're all trying to do the same thing together. So what
1: are things that women can be doing or girls before they're women can Mm -hmm. be doing Mm -hmm. to really, to have that confidence? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're trying to? I think
0: first we have to start talking about it. We Mm -hmm. have to talk about those moments in life, like I just did, where we felt like our confidence was stripped away. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about the moment where we feel like maybe we don't want to do this anymore. And why? Why don't we feel like we want to raise our hands? Mm. We have to start sharing experiences as women, either as grownups or as young adults or as girls. And that's why we at Girls Leadership feel it's so important to have open and honest conversations about emotions. I think I gave you that girl's leadership yeah, yeah, it emotion bring it. poster. It show it. Yeah. It yeah. Bring it. It's about twenty-five mm. different emotions that are illustrated in a girl's face. So it's not just I feel happy or I feel sad. It's I feel confused. I feel betrayed. I feel vulnerable. I feel jealous. I feel sad. But, so
1: you know, so it's and sorry to interrupt you on no. in that, but I, I would think that boys would have a much harder time than yes. than girls. Like I, think I would you're think that, right. that mm-hmm. yeah. So it was, yeah. when you showed that to me, I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, no, man, right. I could have benefited from this. You're right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely pro- right. Pro- we still can. Yes, yes, <laughs> you know? no,
0: for sure. And, I, and I'm certainly not saying that the boys have it easy in terms of expressing their emotions. There are all sorts of barriers to boys in terms of showing their vulnerability. That's just not what girls' leadership is yeah. doing. But certainly as the mother of a boy, I am very aware of what the images that, that he's being bombarded with in terms of uh, classical masculinity and how he is supposed to act. He's on a baseball team right now, mm-hmm. so he's starting to hear some of that locker room talk. And, you know, what does he do with those feelings? And then does he go along to get along? Or does he say something when things start to get a little bit intense? So let me ask
1: you something. As you may, I'm changing gears to some degree, but it just made me think of something. So I was out. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say just out. This is the most recent, but I hear this often. So as a result of a feminist movement, there are a lot of women that I'm talking to that are like kind of joking, but not that they're saying there are no men anymore. They're like men, women are really down on the male population as being masculine and being leaders. And a lot of the single women that I know, I hear often say that they joke around and saying, Hey, the, our feminine movement has really hindered masculinity. Do you have a thought mm. on that? Or do you have a, any sentiments?
0: I don't agree. Okay. I, I think it depends on how you're defining masculinity. I'm not sure what we mean by that.
1: Yeah. I can't expand. I don't know. I'm not. I just thought it was really interesting to hear that. And I'm not saying that it means you have to be down on women, so to speak.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's not, it's a big world, right? There's plenty of room to go around, and it's sort of a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. I don't think the feminist movement is there to take anything away from men Mm -hmm. or to take anything away from the concept of masculinity. To your point, the concept of masculinity probably needs to be explored just like the concept of femininity does. But I don't think the feminist movement is out to chip away at men or anything that men have accomplished. My Facebook page profile is a sign that somebody, not me, made at the first Women's March right after Trump was elected, January 2017. It's a wonderful poster. And it says, feminism is the radical notion that women are people too. (laughs) That's what feminism is. We're just talking about equality. We're talking about parity. We're talking about equity. We're talking about having the same opportunities as men. We're not, nobody's looking to take anything away. I I
1: think it's good that you quantify that because most people don't see it that way. So it's just an, again, ignorance. It's an ignorance. Yeah.
0: I mean, listen, I'll tell you, I mean, obviously the feminist movement has had a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that my own mother, who again, raised me to be a feminist, does not use the word feminist. She says, oh, I'm not one of those feminists. And I said, what do you mean? Yes, you are. You raised (laughs) one and you are one. Uh But I think in the 60s, when feminism was coming up, it was seen as a very upper middle class white movement. And I think that probably was off-putting to her. I think she probably felt like it was a luxury that she couldn't afford. The feminist movement has had a lot of problems with African-American women in particular. I think it's been very exclusive in many ways. Mm. There was sort of a famous uh, breaking away of Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony, where they were sort of allies and then suddenly they weren't. And I think a lot of people in the African-American community feel like feminism abandoned the Black community in America and abandoned civil rights in particular. So feminism, don't get me wrong, has a lot of work to do in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it probably has a branding problem in the sense that it needs to get back to what the point is. I will say that after Trump was elected I, and because of the rise of the Me Too movement, I think that feminism has been reclaimed in the right way. And I think a lot more young people start to use that label now for themselves that maybe wouldn't have even two years ago. Hmm. So in some ways, I'm kind of grateful for yeah, that because I think it's come out.
1: It's an interesting perspective. It's come yeah.
0: out, yeah. So it's always a
1: good. It comes out of everything, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and as it's crazy a, as a as
0: nonpartisan made... podcast, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. But Reagan, how would you recommend other people? speak up for other individuals or other women or even if it's men.
0: I'll give you an example that just I've been thinking about lately. I was lucky enough to meet Gloria Steinem at a dinner for girls leadership about two years ago. And in meeting her, I flashed back to something that happened in seventh grade.
1: For those who don't know who she is. Oh,
0: one of the uh, founders of the modern feminist movement in the early 60s. She wrote very famously for New York Magazine. She infiltrated the Playboy Mansion as a Playboy bunny and sort of wrote about the experience of being a bunny kind of on the inside. She's still going today. I think she's in her mid-80s and she's a powerhouse. So when I met her, I realized that she had inspired me when I was in seventh grade. And again, this is growing up in a household that was not identified as feminist, but somehow she got into my consciousness. So seventh grade, sitting in math class This is the height or maybe the depth of adolescent awkwardness, right? (laughs) Seventh grade. And the math teacher, whose name I will not use, stood up there in the front of the room, kind of turned around and looked at everybody and just started kind of noticing the girls in their t-shirts and how they were maybe growing a little bit under their t-shirts and started to comment on them. Now... By the way, he was not looking at me. There was nothing growing in my T-shirt. I was very aware that this was something that was being directed at the other girls in the class, and all of the girls were squirming, myself included. So I would never have said anything in that moment, but I went home, and he gave us an assignment, and the assignment was, I guess it was algebra, where we had to take a two-dimensional grid and kind of move figures around a grid using algebraic equations this is going back a long way
1: I'm so I... remember this My <laughs> gosh. Yeah. so
0: I drew a little triangle mouse and labeled it the math teacher and then I drew a little triangle cat and labeled it Gloria Steinem and through a series of mathematical in equations seventh grade, you in did seventh this. grade through a series of mathematical <laughs> equations Gloria Steinem the cat chased the math teacher mouse either off the grid entirely or she ate him. I don't remember, but in some, in, she vanquished him in some way via math. Handed in the report, handed in the assignment. He gave it back to me, gave me an A+, plus. never said a word to the girls again. So this was not something that I thought, oh, this is a moment where I'm going to use my voice in some way to speak up on behalf of other people. But- just so somehow internally it just it felt like the right thing to do. And I loved being able to tell Gloria Steinem that story and thank her for giving me the courage somewhere in there to advocate for other people and kind of eliminate what was turning into a serious problem. And what I think would have been a fireable offense today. 100%.
1: I gotta give him credit too, to be honest. Because I think that comes back to some of the things that we've talked about before, or maybe it was later, depending on where. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, About (laughs) ignorance. Yes. So he clearly didn't mm-hmm. know or he didn't exactly. realize. or maybe, mm-hmm. So maybe he wasn't yeah. groomed properly. Yeah. So you got that point to it's him possible. in a great way. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's amazing. The seventh grade. And how did you know about her at that time? I don't
0: know. It just must have, she must have seeped in somehow. There, there must have been some kind <laughs> of copy of Ms. Magazine around the house or something. So how'd you meet her? Girls leadership uh, was lucky enough to have a dinner with her in a private home of a donor of ours. And Gloria lives across the street from this donor. And so we said, hey, can you come on across the street and join us for dinner? And it was an inspiring and an incredible conversation. And the thing that struck me so much about her is, so this was right after the presidential election, 2017. So she's probably 85, something like that. She's been saying pretty much the same thing for how many decades, five decades, six decades at this point. Mm. And she has not lost her passion or her sense of humor or her sense of optimism. And she is truly inspiring in that sense.
1: Wow. Tell me about some of the other people that you've met as a result of girls' leadership, What high level, their stories, yeah. what they've done. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I would say Simone Moran and Rachel Simmons, the co-founders of Girls Leadership, Uh are so inspiring because of the way they've built this really filling a niche that has heretofore been sort of unfilled. The idea of social emotional learning in girls is not something that really is discussed that much. Rachel Simmons in particular has a book out right now called Enough As She Is, which is about the idea of helping girls and young women in particular be comfortable with failure Because girls are often trying to toe the line and be perfect and succeed at everything because we need to do it all, we need to be it all, we need to be these amazing superwomen, but the concept of failure somehow gets lost in that. And then what happens when a girl or a woman fails at something? Maybe she falls apart. That's what Rachel is trying to do is, is teach girls that it is okay. And in fact, we learn from our failures. We learn from our mistakes. We can build resiliency.
1: What do they do to foster a sisterhood? What are they teaching from a friendship standpoint? And the reason it's, I say yeah. that is mm-hmm. because I should know this cold and I don't and I'm embarrassed. But in the late 80s, they did a study. And this isn't just women. This is Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. So the average person, well, first of all, they say the average person at bare minimum should have at least three solid relationships, people that they can trust at Mm -hmm. any time. Mm -hmm. And that's outside of your family because your Mm -hmm. family dies. It happens. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. So the average person in the 80s had five. These are confidants, people they can trust, Mm -hmm. people they can hang out with, people Mm -hmm. that they can be vulnerable with, Mm -hmm. whatever. Guess what that number is today?
0: I'm going to guess it's lower.
1: It's lower. Guess what that two? number is? It's zero. <gasps> the average person has zero. It we went from five to zero. So, so for a variety of reasons, changing of times, technologies, busy schedules, people don't realize it's also a familial thing, even though it, it's spawned in a family. People are, come from tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go back and you were raised by a tribe, mm-hmm. what's it saying? You know, it takes, it takes a, a village. Yeah, it yeah. Takes a village. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. doesn't, that's mm-hmm. not the way the because world is. we're more is. isolated. Correct. We're more isolated, smaller families. Mm-hmm. And even because with friends, you know, there's friends of families mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. th- all these other pressures were quote unquote busy. Yeah. So anyways, we went from... Mm. five to zero mm-hmm. when you need three. And what's happened is this is what's also spawned. There's a domino effect. And that's why we also have this loneliness epidemic. And yes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. that, but it's a real problem mm-hmm. in the UK. They even have a minister of loneliness. Yes. So the suicide oh, nice. rates are higher. And mm-hmm. so, so the reason yeah. I'm bringing all this up mm-hmm. is that there is, it's so important men and women, but I would think almost more so for women to mm. have that support. Mm-hmm and Mm -hmm. to have these skills to develop Mm -hmm. these relationships Mm -hmm. where people can feel, um, because I don't know why that is, but there seem to be less women that have the confidence than men.
0: Yeah, I can't speak to that in particular, but I think that one of the things that girls leadership and I are certainly trying to work on is the idea of, it's okay to have a conflict in a friendship. You're gonna have an argument with your friend and you're gonna learn the tools how to get through that conflict. And you'll either decide to keep the friendship or move on from the friendship, but the friendship doesn't have to fall apart because of tension or Mm -hmm. because of unspoken tension. Let's not make it be unspoken. Let's bring it up to the surface. Let's engage. What you said bothered me. What I said bothered you. Let's try to work through it. That's how we build a relationship that is actually built on something supportive and communal, as opposed to, well, she said something mean to me on the playground, so the friendship's over. I mean, (laughs) the whole myth of the mean girl thing, right? It's something that we're trying to get beyond. Because we, as you say, we have to have confidants. We have to have oh, relationships where we can share or we move through the world along.
1: Having less friends like that is worse than smoking, drinking, mm. smoking 15 mm. cigarettes a day, drinking. Mm. I mean, it's amazing the science yeah. that's gone into that. So, yeah, I think that that's something if you guys haven't thought about might be yeah, something you. that you should really kind of. I know you have enough on your plate, but something to consider.
0: Thank you. It's also, great.
1: So let me ask you some random questions. Okay. This is like one of my, I got Excellent. all these random questions.
0: Okay. Here we go.
1: Give me a number.
0: A number. Yeah.
1: Give me a number between, let's start here between, let's go with the works, the works actually first. Okay. One and 15. Seven. Seven. Why seven?
0: That's a good number, right?
1: It is that's good a number. It's a prime number. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a good number. Okay. Fair enough. Right. It's well, um, prime number. How has your life turned out different than you would have anticipated or expected to have been at this point in your life?
0: Well, I would say given where the publishing industry is in particular, I probably would not have expected that at this point in my career, I would be looking to maybe expand or move on from publishing. I probably just thought it was going to go straight up mm. and now it may be going sideways or taking a couple of different turns. So I certainly would never, I don't think anybody expected that, that digital would so overtake paper to the so point quick. that people don't read the newspaper anymore.
1: Do you read paper? I do. You We do. get the times You're every still? day.
0: Yep. You We're a big paper house.
1: You are. Yeah. <laughs> What's, what section, where do you go first?
0: Front page first, I got to say, now that I'm a baseball mom, I go to you the do. sports page really? more All often right. than not, awesome. And I will find an article and I will say, oh, my son should read this. But now I think I'm going to read it first. I'm kind of interested.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, that, I got to tell that's you, that's fantastic. the place that I never thought my life would go. Yeah. That's <laughs> a real, yeah. That's a real, what, you know
1: what? What do you, what do you like about the sport? <laughs>
0: As far as I can tell, I was not sporty in the least. Interesting. No. Okay. I mean, again, so grew get- up single daughter, single mother household, no men around in most of my early life. Not that girls can't be sporty, but I was fully cerebral. I had no sports whatsoever. I always tried to fake having my period to get out of gym class <laughs> until I finally got caught. Yeah. <laughs> until I finally realized I it couldn't possibly be going Every on day. for as long as it was <laughs> going on. But now- now, of course, I really appreciate how cerebral baseball is, and I appreciate the aspects of the team sport that I never really gave any thought to before.
1: Pretty cool. Yeah. Wow, your son's lucky. Okay, <laughs> give me um, 17 to 59. Give me a number.
0: How about 29?
1: 29. Who do you trust?
0: Who do I trust? I trust my gut.
1: Ooh, good answer.
0: Trust my mother. Uh huh. Trust my husband and my son. I trust my good friends.
1: Yeah. How does someone become a good friend to you?
0: Again, I would say shared experiences of vulnerability over time. I would say that I have some very close friends from all aspects of my life. Not a huge... Number, Mm -hmm. but very, very close, dear relationships. Well, it's
1: not how many you can count. It's how many you can count on or be counted on. Yes,
0: that's right. Wow. Um,
1: Okay, give me another between 1 and 15. This is personal. 14. 14. When was the last time that you changed your mind or opinion? I like this question actually a lot. It's a good one. And then I want to follow that up with how did that happen or who can you attribute with influencing that decision mm, so mm-hmm. it's a mouthful it's okay. a lot and okay. that's not an okay. easy question okay so i'm going to give you some time
0: okay well i think we we've talked about this a little bit i would say that again i'm just going to go back to feminism growing up as a feminist thinker i used to think that boys will be boys was kind of an excuse for toxic male behavior and mm. in some ways it still is but now that i have a son whose brain I am starting to understand and whose wiring I'm starting to get. While I'm raising him, interacting with him, developing a relationship with him, trying to understand what makes him tick while also doing girls' leadership, I've started to really understand the male perspective so much more. And I credit him for that because mm-hmm. he will come to a girls' leadership event and he will come away and he'll have questions and he'll, just like you have questions. Mm. And sometimes he'll say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I didn't set up the patriarchy. I'm It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. What are you blaming me for? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, no one's blaming you. Let's think about what your role could be as an ally or a partner. And I love being able to have that conversation with him, but I will credit him for... Raising some of those questions and really helped me unlock a bit more of an understanding into the male psyche.
1: So, what do you do when you see his friends? Because now you're going out to yeah. lots of mm-hmm. talk to mm-hmm. me about that experience mm-hmm. of witnessing mm-hmm. the boys mm-hmm. together, and then also the parents. Yeah. So now you're having to interact with a lot yeah. of different parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've mm-hmm. been exposed to some pretty interesting. You see the way people are raising their kids. Mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion or, or any stories that you?
0: I'm sorry to think that I. I- don't know if I could share any stories, mm-hmm. just out of, gotcha. of wanting to maintain yeah, yeah. And, other and, and, people's and, yeah. privacy. But I certainly, I think that the more conversations that one can have at home about gender and identity, and just identity and privilege in general, the better.
1: Do you think those are happening? Not always. No. Are there any? Do you, Do you, are you there- think they're happening? I think it depends on where you are. I think that we're very fortunate to be in you living in Brooklyn, me yeah. living in Hoboken. Yeah. It's not, you know, we've got there's yes, it's gentrified, but at the same time, there's still a lot of diversity. But it, right. you know, but there's education, and so we get exposure. So I say, probably here, yes, right. as much as we right. both like, probably not. Mm-hmm. But we're just a microcosm of something a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. know because you do you mm-hmm. leave certain areas, and you're yep. like, really,
0: right? But there's- that, in its own way, can be a real eye-opener in terms of diversity, Mm -hmm. right? Diversity of thought and diversity of opinion. And I guess that's what we're seeing in America right now.
1: And listen, that's one good thing about the social media because actually, as we were talking about earlier, listening to podcasts, I've heard two in the past two weeks where... I think one was Joe Rogan. I forgot who the other one, where they talked about how it's so interesting now that they used to be able to go in the middle of the Midwest and people would just be so uneducated and now there is a higher mm-hmm. level of sophistication. so yes, that's true. So, so they're, mm-hmm. you know, again, getting mm-hmm. back to Can't every negative. yeah, right? yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: but every negative right? there is some kind of yes, positive.
0: That is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so I got to tell you, this has been such a fun conversation. I hope. What what do you want people that are listening, that are watching, what would you like them to take away from this conversation besides a contribution? (laughs) 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 Girlsleadership.org. Donate. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: So there's that. How can they? (laughs) What about what are other things that the movement needs? What types of people do you need? How can other people get involved? Thank you. I
0: appreciate that. I think what we're looking for is women and men who understand. What we're talking about when we say loss of confidence, what do we mean? But why does a loss of confidence then affect a girl's ability to see herself as a leader? We're looking for people who can understand the concept of polite, pretty, and perfect, and how that can be kind of a straitjacket for girls and women. Just to understand that in terms of daily interactions with girls and with women, to make sure that we help them kind of break out of the polite, pretty, and perfect vortex. So we're certainly looking for individuals who can help us with that. We're looking for corporations who can help us and just looking to continue the conversation.
1: Okay. And then one more question. Who at the organizational enterprise level are typically the types of contacts that are good for you? So the reason being Mm -hmm. is that even if you, who's watching or listening, (laughs) isn't that person, you know somebody that is. So right. so I'd like to know who that is so we can make sure that Such they can get Such a great
0: idea. Thank you. I would say it's generally people in the human resources, sometimes it's people who are directors of diversity okay. at corporations. Sometimes it's just the person who knows how to unlock the ability to write a check, quite frankly. Okay. But in terms of a deeper relationship, I would say HR, somebody in diversity, somebody whose job it is to help enhance the employees' experience at work by bringing in a program like girls leadership
1: so those of you that are listening if you don't are we going to be at liberty to share some of your contact we don't have to do it now but it'll be in the show notes or uh, reach out to reagan directly or point your friends or the people that you think might be interested if you're afraid of just of sharing the information with reagan have them listen to this show and then make, let them feel inclined if they want to Sounds to right. then reach out directly. Yeah. So I hope we did a good been,
0: job of persuading and
1: I don't think you need to persuade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that this is again getting <laughs> back—it's education. Yes. So it's getting people informed, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of it. I think that's what it boils down to. Okay. Yeah. So, You're so, so great to you. talk to.
0: Thank you yeah. so much. I don't know. We made it easy. You know, we you did. It, I just sit yeah. here like
1: I'm just a conduit. You know, that's just it. So, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.